You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in uh, the really smack dab in the middle of our series on the book of Acts. I think this is the 24th week. I said 24. 24th week uh, of our series in the book of Acts. If you're new to Rev Church or joining us online, uh, we believe the best way for us to study the Bible together corporately is to go through books of the Bible verse by verse about 90 to 95% of the time. And we've really taken this year to take a look at the early church and take a look at the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor Brandon, our student pastor, kicked off Acts chapter 15. And I just got to say, y'all, Brandon did, Pastor Brandon did an incredible job. Amen, y'all. Like, I told him, let's honor him. Yeah, he did a great job, man. I told him I think it was the best sermon I've ever heard him preach. Uh, really, really good. He took like 30 verses of Scripture, broke it down to where it was so applicational, so understandable. And he taught us a story that happened between the early church where two factions rose up. There was team circumcision to be saved and team don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And they've really had the church's first business meeting ever in Acts chapter 15 uh, where they figured out, no, you're saved by grace alone. And they went back and told all the Gentile believers, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And all the male Gentile believers probably lost their mind and were like, yes, okay, like praise Jesus for that. Uh, And really, Acts chapter 15... What Pastor Brennan unpacked was a little bit of church drama, long business meeting, probably some arguing. And today we're going to talk about more drama. Acts chapter 15 really is the chapter of family drama, if you will, if I was going to name it anything. Because once you get into a church, we call it church family. We're connected through the gospel and through Jesus, and we become what's known in Scripture as the family of faith. And when you get into a family, you can't avoid drama. You can't avoid frustration. Uh, In our lives, the greatest joys that we have, the most incredible things that we get to experience are always tied to our relationships with people, typically our closest relationships with people. But also, our greatest frustrations, the things that we look back at that frustrate us the most and make us the most mad, are always tied to our relationships and typically our closest relationships. And it's no different in a church family. You know, I did some research and found that uh, during the Christmas holidays, there is a 50% increase to the police in domestic dispute calls. Uh, My brother back there, pastor, he's shaking his head because he works in the Cookville uh, Police Department, and he's an officer, and he knows that when families get together at Christmas time, drama ensues. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Say amen, okay? Maybe that hadn't happened at your house, but at your neighbor's house, you've watched it. We got each all over here right now. Dad and my brother are fighting again, and they're about to kill each other. And like when families get together, there's usually drama. Well, the great thing about the church is, is we have Christmas every Sunday. So there's always this potential for disagreement, for drama, uh, for fussing and fighting when you become a part of a church family. Now, Pastor Brandon gave a great example last week to some of you guys and said that some of you guys have never experienced church drama or church hurt or church 
fighting. And what that means is you're essentially dating the church. Maybe you attend church, but you haven't really jumped in and become a part of the family. Uh, What God wants for us is he really, in a sense, metaphorically speaking, wants us to marry the church. And when you get married to the church, you inevitably are going to experience some of that drama. When I got married over 22 years ago, my wife and I, we didn't live together before we were married. We just started living together the night we got married. And we found that, man, there were some things that we had some knockdown dragouts about. You know what I mean? Stuff that wasn't even like a big deal necessarily that sounds goofy. We about killed each other over, like the thermostat in the house. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, dude, it can't be 100 degrees in here, or at the same time, you can't freeze me to death. Like, what is going on? We got in some talks about that. One of the biggest uh, fights that we used to have when we first got married, my wife and I, had to do with my socks. She used to get, some of y'all are laughing because you know what's coming. She used to get so upset with me because when I would take my shoes and socks off, I'd just leave them wherever I took them off. Didn't think nothing of it. And we get into these huge fights about socks. And as a guy, I'm sitting there looking at her going, what's the big deal? It's just a pair of socks. And she'd be like, it's not about the socks. It's about the fact that you leave the socks wherever you want because you know I'll pick them up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? You know? Uh, There was a couple times when we first got married that my wife went on a cleaning strike. And it was so funny because three weeks into this cleaning strike, I had no idea she was on a cleaning strike. You know, I'm just like, oh, guess this is how we do dishes once a month. You know, I had no clue. I was so mad. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Say amen. We got into it over some goofy stuff. Uh, Younger couples nowadays, they have different things that they get into it about. Um, There's a phrase, Netflix cheating. Does anybody know what Netflix cheating is? And they get some knockdown draft. That's when you record a show or a show comes out on a streaming service and you're supposed to watch it with your spouse but they cheat on you and they watch the first episode without you or a recorded episode without you. Some people get into knockdown dragouts. People nowadays get into it about stuff like, like you may hear a wife say something like this to her husband. How could you post that picture of me on social media? I look horrible. What were you thinking? But one thing that I think crosses generations that marriages have gotten into it about has to do with this right here. You know what's coming. How do you put the toilet paper on the roll? Some of y'all are team over like this. How many of y'all are team over? Raise your hand. Majority of people. How many of y'all are team under like this? Raise your hand. That's my people right there. Now, some of y'all... This is why we would get in a fight. I'm not team over or under. I'm team stick it on top of the holder and just leave it there. <laughs> See, if you're not married in here and you're young, this is pre-marriage counseling right here. Amen, y'all. These are the questions you ask before you get married. Are you over or under on the toilet paper? What do you do? Well, Paul and Barnabas, as you're seeing, they stood together in this business meeting but they're getting ready to get into a conflict over something that is seemingly really just toilet paper. Does it go over? Does it go under? You're getting ready to see them have a conflict and a split as a result of something that, you know, on the surface seems kind of goofy. So let's, let's look at verse 35 to verse 41. I'm going to stop along the way, give us a little re, revamp. And at the end, I'm going to give you 
four points that I think will be so applicational for us and help us. And really, uh, most of these four things I've never really heard preached on in a church before, but I think it's going to be good for us. So Acts 15, 35, y'all with me? Say, I am. It says, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. This is where their business meeting was. So they stayed there where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, if you remember, chapters 13 and 14 dealt with the first missionary journey that Paul would take. He takes a total of four of them in the book of Acts. And what Paul is referencing is the first missionary journey. If you guys could put that map up of the first missionary journey, he's talking about this trip that they took. The church in Antioch, Syria, that's where they are right now, by the way. Uh, They started there, and they went to Cyprus, and then they went to Galatia, and then they went to Cilicia. And then they came back the same way, except they skipped Cyprus, and they went to Syria. What Paul is saying is, is we've planted all these churches. We've got all these believers that have started churches in these towns that have gotten saved. Let's go back to the cities where we've started these churches, and let's encourage them and teach them and try to build them up. Now, one point from this is, um, biblically, if you look at Paul's mission trips or anybody in the New Testament, missions always had to do with church planning. One theologian puts it this way, the mission of the church is missions, but the mission of missions is the church. And so the main mission we have here at Revolution Church is to plant churches. There's other great things that organizations can do, but if they're not tied to a local church, uh, then biblically they've got a huge blind spot. So they go on their first missionary journey, and this is what Paul's referencing, and now they're getting ready to take their second mission trip. And this really is the launching pad for the scripture where Paul is taking his second mission trip. Put that second map up there for me. And this is the one they're taking. I know this looks a little different than the first map, but it encompasses more area. And so up here, we're at Antioch in Syria. Paul's going to leave here, go to Tarsus, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, all the places he went on the first trip. But then he's going to go a little further, go to Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and then he's going to come back to Jerusalem and go back to Antioch. Now what you're going to see is Barnabas doesn't take this route because they're going to break break partnership, essentially. And Barnabas goes back to Cyprus, the little island right there, Cyprus, where they planted the other churches that Paul misses. And you're going to see how God uses that and uh, does amazing things through that. You know, Paul, it's been estimated that Paul in his mission trips traveled 13,400 miles in his mission trips. No airplanes, no buses, no cars, not even a moped. Y'all know what I mean? Like 13,400 miles to go plant churches all over the place. Let's continue in verse 37. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. We've talked about John Mark previously. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. How serious was this disagreement? Well, when Scripture tells us that Barnabas, first off, said he wanted to take John Mark with them, that phrase, wanted to take in the Greek, is what's known as an imperfect tense verb. 
And it indicates an ongoing or repetitive action by Barnabas. In other words, when Barnabas and Paul would get together to discuss this trip, even though in the previous meeting Paul had already said, we're not taking Mark with us, there's no way we're taking John Mark, Barnabas was relentless. Every meeting, I know you already said no, but I really feel like we need to take John Mark. We really need to take John Mark. We really need to take John Mark. But Paul was standing his ground as well in the fact that he didn't think they needed to take John Mark. See, Paul knew that the survival and success depended on, of the trip depended on the maturity and stability of each team member. And he knew this from experience because if you remember in Acts chapter 14, we talked about how in Lystra, my opinion is, is that when Paul got stoned, Paul was dead when they drug him out of the city. And Paul had experienced and knew that the only reason he was raised back to life is because the mature believers surrounded him and prayed for him and he was brought back to life and he was raised up to continue the mission trip. So Paul would not relent on the fact that he thought no way John Mark should not go. Neither man would back down, which caused the argument to become what the Bible calls A sharp disagreement. Everybody say that phrase with me, sharp disagreement. One, two, three, sharp disagreement. Sorry, sorry about that. What that word is in the Greek is it's a word that's spelled this way. I don't have down how to say this, so I don't want to butcher it. P-A-R-O-X-Y-S-M-O-S. The Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, uses this exact word in the context of God's wrath and indignation. This is actually a medical term that's used in classical Greek, and the writers would use this word to describe a sudden violent spasm such as a body-racking cough or an epileptic seizure. This is the sharp disagreement. Their relationship, in other words, the word picture is, has an epileptic seizure. It's so intense. We've been trying over the last several weeks to teach the people that aren't from the South that have moved to Crossville different phrases and different words to help you understand uh, and know what we're talking about. So if we were to put sharp disagreement into a Southern vernacular, then what we would say is Barnabas was fit to be tied. Paul is flying off the handle. Barnabas is madder than a puffed toad, so to speak. Paul is chewing up nails, and he's spitting out a barbed wire fence is what's happening here. This is how upset they are. Barnabas is as mad as a three-legged dog trying to bury something on an icy pond, so to speak. Paul may have looked at Barnabas and said, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you to death with it with a bloody stump. Y'all know what I'm saying? Is everybody with me? This is how strong this disagreement was. Barnabas's butt was grinding corn, so to speak. Y'all know what I mean? This is how upset they were. Paul's panties were all in a wad. My grandfather, who was an old Southern Baptist preacher, used to look at me when I was being bad, and he said the same thing to my dad over and over when he was young. He used to look at me and go, enough's enough, and too much is nasty. That's how we say nasty, nasty. And you're about to make it nasty. That means butt whooping's coming if you don't chill, right? Well, this is what they're saying to each other. You've just made it nasty. 
so to speak. These spiritual brothers that had been through thick and thin together, they just stood together in this major business meeting where the church deemed that we're saved by grace alone through the blood of Jesus Christ. No need for circumcision, no need for baptism, no need for any of our works in order to go to heaven. They just stood together to do that, and now they get into this disagreement. I can hear Paul in my mind, and this really is speculation, as he's talking about whether or not to take John Mark with him. As we've kind of told you a few weeks ago, John Mark was the son of a very wealthy lady named Mary, who in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, let the church use her home to pray. And I can almost hear Paul in my head saying, I'm not holding the hand of some rich boy that couldn't even make it on the first trip, Barnabas. He, you're, Barnabas, he's your cousin, and the only reason you want to take him and give him another chance is because he's your cousin, but he's weak, and I'm not taking him with us. I can hear Barnabas in my head, and again, this is just speculation. As he's arguing with Paul, he looks at Paul and he says, Paul, do you remember how you were persecuting the church? And when you got saved, nobody would touch you with a 10-foot pole. You went back home to Tarsus, and for eight to ten years, you remember when Jeff, our Rev. Men's minister, unpacked that Paul goes home for eight to ten years, and he sits on the sidelines, and you were dying to do ministry, and you wanted to do something, but everybody looked at you and said, no, 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 not Paul. That guy caused the death of all kinds of us. We're not bringing him in, but I was the one guy who remembered you, and I came to Tarsus, and I invited you to go on our first mission trip. I gave you a chance. Now you're not willing to give John Mark a chance. A sharp disagreement. Now, it's important to note that this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was not a doctrinal disagreement. They agreed on the mission. They agreed on uh, the major doctrines. We know this because of what happened previously in chapter 15. They just couldn't agree on the composition of the mission team. I believe that if you read Scripture, it becomes very clear that Paul and Barnabas had very different leadership styles, very different visions for their ministry, very different ways to get to the same end, in other words, different methods to get to the end, which is preaching the gospel. Paul looked at the church as a launching pad for ministry, not a parking lot for believers to sit around and do nothing. Paul or Barnabas, on the other hand, looked at the church as a rehabilitation center for the hurting. In other words, Paul looked at people and he would say something like, what can this person do for the work of God? How can we use them and make them useful for the mission where Barnabas would look at a person and he would ask the question, what can the work of God do for that person? And how can the work of God encourage that person? Now the reality of this is both of their styles were fine. Neither of them were wrong in how they looked at ministry and how they wanted to perform ministry and in their methods. Now, you read this passage, and maybe they didn't handle it the best. Maybe they were acting childish. Maybe they were being goofy. More on that later. But it was just an argument about methods, not major doctrines. 
See, in Christianity, we have main doctrines that are foundational to what we believe. And in order to have fellowship with another believer, another ministry, another church, we have to agree on some major, major doctrines. Some of those are the fact that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. Salvation through Christ alone, really, we have to agree on the gospel. The Bible is the word of God. We've got to agree on the Trinity. And you may not even understand all of these, but just know that these are the ones that if we get off track, then we would typically break fellowship with a believer or a church if they don't agree on these things. The fact that heaven and hell are a reality. The fact that we're saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. That's how we're saved. It has nothing to do with our works. These are major doctrines, but, but to put it another way, Paul and Barnabas aren't splitting over major doctrines. They're splitting over methods that were really up for debate and change. Some of the methods that we tend to argue about and split over and differ on today, things that are okay to do differently in the church are things like worship style. Yeah, now, all churches kind of do the same thing. We have worship, we have sermons, we have groups, we have the student ministry and all this stuff. But, but not, to, not, to, not to, like this doesn't mean anything, but the devil's in the details, so to speak, no pun intended. You know what I mean? Like it's in the little differences and nuances in how we do things, just like for Paul and Barnabas. The kind of music you sing. Do some churches do hymns? Some churches have a band with guitars, and it's like a rock concert. That's okay. Both of those are okay. Some churches, uh, another, another difference would be uh, uh, preaching style. At our church, we like to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. Some churches don't do that. They do sermon series that are four weeks at a time. We used to do that when we first started the church. And there's, there's a difference, and that's okay to do that. Some churches dress a certain way. You guys see me up here today, and... I've got a WrestleMania 6 shirt on with a pair of Jordans and jeans. I've worn a hat up here to preach in before. If I was to go into most churches in Crossville, Tennessee, dressed the way I'm dressed right now, people would die right there on the spot and go to heaven, y'all. They would freak out. They wouldn't know what to do. Oh, my God. If I wore a hat into a church, and most of them, oh, my goodness, people would lose their minds. But that's okay. We dress different. It's no big deal. There's these differences that are really just method, how we do kids' ministry. Some churches differ on the use of certain spiritual gifts, and they reach different people as a result. Some churches uh, do governance differently, and that's okay, as long as we have the basic foundation in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas, it's not a doctrinal dispute. This didn't cause them to break Christian fellowship it caused them to take a break from each other, if that makes sense. So they split as a result of really different methods, different visions. They still pray for each other. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll actually see they actually hook up later. Paul talks about Barnabas, says he's doing a great job. But let's continue. Let's continue. Y'all still with me? Say I am. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Where it says commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how the, the church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas before their first mission trip. Same thing here. They're going on another mission trip. The church is commissioning them, commending them to go on this mission trip. Verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, 
strengthening the churches. This week, as I read through this, I thought to myself, what are the things that we can hermeneutically apply, so to speak? Like, how, how can we apply what the breakup of Paul and Barnabas meant? What are some lessons we can learn from the breakup of Paul and Barnabas? I've got four of them, and I'm going to give you the first one now. Y'all ready? Say, I am. It's going to be in a chart form. I know y'all love my chart. If you're new, take a picture of the chart at the end. That's why I do charts. Uh, if you don't take sermon notes on your iPad or whatever on paper, then uh, just take a picture and it'll help you. Lessons from the breakup. Number one, and this is a big one, God can use people you don't like or get along with. Let me throw that in there. God can use people that you don't like. Reality check for everybody in here. Okay, don't think so highly of yourself like everybody thinks you're great. There's a handful of people in your life, if not a whole lot of people, that can't stand you. Anybody sitting next to a person they can't? No, I'm just kidding. So. We've got marriage counseling. We know where to send you if that's you. Boy, it's a good thing God uses people that you don't like and that you don't even get along with. Paul's like, I'm not taking that rich boy. He almost ruined the last one. But you know what that rich boy ends up doing, John Mark? He ends up writing the gospel of Mark. Paul comes back around when he's sitting in prison one day. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he instructs them to bring Mark, for he is useful to me. Hey, how's Mark doing? I want to I see him. Bring him to me because he's useful for the kingdom. I was wrong about that guy, in other words. God actually used him in a major, major way. Number two, God uses our blunders. God uses our blunders, our mess-ups, our fusses, our drama. If you read some commentators and talk to some preachers, they will say Barnabas was completely in the wrong and Paul was in the right. You read other commentaries and talk to other preachers, they will say Paul was a handful and he acted like an idiot here and he was wrong and Barnabas was just an encourager and he was right. You read other commentaries and talk to other preachers, they will say Paul and Barnabas both acted childlike and they were both childish and they were both wrong. And then you read some other commentaries and talk to some other preachers and they will say neither of them were wrong. God was just using this in order to create two mission teams. I tend to agree with the last one. The end result is, remember the map I showed you? Paul didn't make it to Cyprus to visit the churches he had planted. Barnabas takes that on himself to go to Cyprus. And so God creates two mission teams out of one. He uses their blunders and their drama. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. I've watched young pastors before that really want to be used by God uh, and want to do something for God, maybe in a different way, serve at traditional churches. And this is a pretty common story that happens a lot. And this pastor will be fired up and have integrity and holiness and humility and, and really just want to be used. And as they serve in some capacity in this traditional church, uh, the pastor and that church will just have some method things that they can't agree on. 
just, man, no, we're singing hymns, or we, we like to have the communion table up front, or we just, just things that kind of seem like, everybody know what I'm saying? If you've been in church more than five minutes, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you didn't wear a tie one Sunday. It's toilet paper, but they can't get along. And even though they can't get along, God uses their drama and their blunder. That pastor will go on to start a church. We call these church splits in the South. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And God will bless that church, but he'll also take care of the church that that pastor left. And you get two for one because God uses their blunders and their mess-ups and in a lot of cases their sinfulness. It's amazing how God uses all things for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Amen, Rev Church? We see this over and over in the book of Acts, don't we? Be encouraged, man. You mess up in here, just repent, move on. Accept the forgiveness and the grace of God and move on and allow him to use you. Thirdly, and this is important, this is very important. God calls certain people and certain churches to certain styles of ministry. I'm going to spend probably the most amount of time on this one. God calls certain people and certain churches to certain styles of ministry. In other words, we're not all supposed to be doing the exact same thing. Yes, now, again, I get it. We're all supposed to share the gospel. We're all preaching the gospel. We're all worshiping and praising together. But again, it's the small nuances and the differences that churches do. We're all different because there's not a church in the world and never has been and never will be that can reach every single person. He calls us to different styles of ministry. Um, My son has gotten into collecting baseball cards and basketball cards, and I kept some of my cards as a kid. And We've been going through them, trying to figure out what they're worth and everything. It's really made me reflect on when I was younger uh, because I have a lot of these cards. My favorite basketball team when I was a kid, which was the Chicago Bulls. And uh, if you know anything about the Bulls that won six championships in the 90s, there were really two different teams that won it all. And on those two different teams, there were three major players on those two different teams. Two of them stayed the same. Uh, the first, uh, first set of Bulls that won three championships, the big three were Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Horace Grant. Well, the second Bulls that won three championships still had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, but they didn't have Horace Grant. They had somebody else. Does anybody know who that is? The Worm, Dennis Rodman, right? In 1998, if you watch the documentary, The Last Dance, uh, the stat that most people point at to point to success in the NBA is points per game. Dennis Rodman historically was one of the worst scorers in the NBA. He averaged about four points in 1998. Because Dennis Rodman's strength was not scoring, it was what? Does anybody know? It was rebounds. He only averaged four points, but he averaged 15 rebounds a game in 1998. Can you imagine if the Chicago Bulls, at the beginning of the 1998 season, pulled... Dennis Rodman aside and said, hey, we love that you've rebounded in the past, but we want you to focus on what we feel like is the most important thing, and that is scoring points. So don't put any more energy or time into rebounding. You just focus on trying to score points. If they had done that, they wouldn't have won a championship. 
all the time in the church, we're looking at other churches, we're looking at other Christians, and we're saying, why aren't they doing what we do? Why are they not passionate about what I'm passionate about? Why don't they get involved in what we're involved in? What you're saying is, I know they're a rebounder, but I want to make them a score. Does that make sense to everybody say amen? See, the scripture tells us that the church is a body. We all have different functions. We all have different focuses. And a body that has 50 arms and no legs is a freak, y'all. Introduce the church in America, the formula that we've created. We've gotten calls before from people and asked our church to be involved in something that another church is doing or maybe several churches are doing. But at Revolution, we like to stay in our lane and do what we know we're called to do. And so we say no more often than we say yes. And most of the time when we say no, you wouldn't believe the hostility that we're met with. Well, if you really cared about the community, you'd do this. If you, if you were really about helping people, you'd do this. If you were blah, 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 blah. No. God calls different people and different churches to different styles of ministry. So be very careful that you don't, you don't project on other people what God's called you to do. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Be very, very careful. At our church, we have uh, four staff values. And the leadership of the church and the staff of the church, before we do anything, we run everything through the filter of our four staff values. Uh, make it connect, make it real, make it different. And the fourth one, believe it or not, is make it different. Because when we started this church, we said, we don't want to just go into this thing and do what every other church in town is doing. Because we don't want to reach the same people that every other church is reaching. And we definitely don't want to just sheep swap and get into a competition with them and who's got the better gospel singing and who's got the better this and better that. So when we started the church, we said we're doing it different. Now, now please understand, I get it. We all do worship. We all preach the word. But it's in the, it's in the small things that we do different. For instance, we have a lot of people that say, hey, do you guys do vacation Bible school, VBS? We've never done it here at Ref Church. Never. You know why? Because there's over 100 VBSs in Crossville, Tennessee every single summer. Vacation Bible School is awesome. It's great. We hope tons of kids get saved and go to them and everything like that. But why in the world would we do what 100 other churches are called to do? Does that make sense to everybody say amen? A few years ago, three or four years ago, we looked up and we said, hey man, just to be honest with you, some churches started copying what we were doing. We were doing sermon series that were about four weeks long, subject preaching, and we said, man, we feel like the Lord's leading us to be different. And so we looked around and we said, not many churches are doing verse-by-verse studies of Scripture through books of the Bible. I know that's crazy, but like we said, that's, that's what we're going to start doing. 
Now, especially young churches that are more, I don't know if we're hip anymore. We're nine years old now. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like we're not, you know, I'm not up here in a suit and tie and singing hymns and stuff. Like, we're, 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 we're kind of newer. And so, so going through books of the Bible, we said, we're going to start doing that. We feel like that's the best way to do it. One of the major factors in that was we wanted to make it different. We don't want to copy everybody. We don't want to get into a competition with every other church. We don't want to look at other churches. See, let me tell you all some of the deadly phrases that you can't say to us, and you shouldn't say to any church, okay? These are things that if you've ever thought it or you've caught yourself saying this, you really need to pray about it first, okay? Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, the church down the road is doing this. We should do that. Did you pray about that? Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, at my old church... We did. Anybody ever said it before? I have. Yeah, y'all are lying. Look at y'all. No, not me. I've never said that before. I've never thought that. It's probably a good thing. It's probably a great thing. But is it a God thing for the church you're in or the ministry you're involved in or for you? Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. So don't judge other churches. Don't judge other people. Don't judge other ministries because they're not doing the same thing you're doing. Fourthly, and this ties directly into it, you know, y'all, I was thinking about this. In football, the leading scorers on football teams are always kickers. And in football, you want to score the most points, right? What if there was a football team that was all kickers? They get smeared, man. You know what I mean? If you're a kicker in here, we're not saying you're not tough, but that's not what your main job is. It's to kick the football, you know? So... So the church can't be all kickers. Does that make sense? I know it's a lot of sports analogies today. Y'all with me? Say I am. Okay, good. Good, okay. Fourthly, and this is really important, walk away from a ministry and a church well. Walk away from a ministry and a church well. Nine years. Our church started nine years ago. And... uh over nine years, I've recognized that in churches, we think it's great when people are coming. But it's like the worst thing in the world when people are leaving. And what I've learned in nine years is, is Scripture is really true. Like, maybe we're just meant to plant the seed and then another church is going to harvest it. Maybe another church poured into a person, they get saved with us, and then they go to another church to be discipled. Maybe people come to revolution, and after they're here for three or four years, they've essentially heard every sermon I have to preach. If you don't know this, pastors have about 50 to 100 sermons somewhere in there. They're all the same, okay? And so, so they've heard all my stories. They know my life story. They know all my jokes. They know everything. And maybe if they leave our church and go to another church, they're going to be re-energized. They're going to have revival in their life. The thing I found over nine years is the worst thing I can do is talk someone into staying at Rev Church when they're supposed to go. For the church, for me, and for them. But always leave a church well or a ministry well. Always leave a church or a ministry well. Jesus describes his church as his bride. My bride leads worship up here every week. Brooke, who's our worship leader. 
If you told me to my face, you loved me and my bride, but then went around town talking junk about her to everybody, the next time I see you, we're going to have words. The reason some of y'all are miserable and the reason some of y'all are so immature in your faith is because whenever you leave a church, you just go talk junk. And you're talking about Jesus' bride. You think Jesus is going to bless you and speak to you and have his hand on your life if you hate his bride? Some of y'all, like, you need to just jump into a church. You change churches like you change socks, man. You're just like, oh, the preacher made me bad. He said something I don't agree with. I want this. I want this kind of preaching, and I want this kind of music, and I want this, and I want... Shut up, you big, fat baby. Here, 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 here's a little clue. When you get saved, coming to church ain't all about you, you big baby. Now you become a part of the army that is on the mission that Jesus gave to go reach the world. Not sit on your blessed assurance and judge everything that the church does that you're not even involved in. You never give, you never serve, you never, and you just go to the church down the road, talk crap about me to the next guy. And then when you're done with him and he says something or does something you don't like or they don't have everything you want, you go down the road. And you know what's crazy? Here's what we found. You end up back here a few years later. If that's you, I love you, but you need to mature. What, what did Pastor Brandon say? Pastor Brandon said some of y'all are just dating the church, but you get married to it is when you're going to have some drama. Now, I've been married 22 years. If you think you're going to agree with everything we do as a church or everything I say or Pastor Brandon says or whatever, listen, in 22 years of marriage, there's been a whole lot of things I ain't agreed with my wife about. But I didn't just go, well, I'm done, and I'm going to go find a new wife now. Some people do that, and their lives are a wreck. It's got commitment issues, man. Walk away from a ministry or a church well. God works in seasons as well. I've watched as some people. i got 60 seconds left. Okay, y'all. I've watched as some people. They're called to children's ministry for a season. And they love it. And God uses them. And they're effective. And they've got joy in serving. And they love going in and wiping doo-doo off babies and getting snotted on and Kids throwing stuff and hitting them in the head with it. I don't get it. I, I'd kill one of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, but they're called to it, you know? But then at some point, they lose their joy. And they start feeling a pull to another ministry like students or small groups or something like that. Leave that kid's ministry well. We promise you at this church, if you come to us and say, I think my time's done here and I'm supposed to go here, we'll celebrate We'll celebrate. We'll be like, thank God you know, because if you try to force it and stay, you're going to drive us nuts because you're going to hate everything. Everybody with me? So leave that ministry well and move into a new season. Be really careful. 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for every single person that is under the sound of my voice. All the people at Revolution Church, these are committed folks that are here this weekend. If there's any weekend that's easy to duck out, it's the weekend right before school starts back full-fledged. 127 yard sales going on. It's hard to get up and down uh, 127 south and 127 north. And uh, Lord, I just thank you so much for the commitment of the people in here. I pray that we can learn from Paul and Barnabas here. I pray for your church as a whole in Cumberland County that some way, somehow, the years of judging each other and thinking we're better because we do this and they don't, uh, we're bigger, they're smaller, we're smaller, they're bigger, uh, we have more respect because we dress up, we have more evangelism because we dress down, all this goofy stuff, God, would just go away and that we would all recognize we're all called to something different. I pray for the folks in here that have been hurt and they've ran from the church ever since they've been hurt. They've just been in a dating relationship. Pastor Brandon always says that couples that date typically act like they're married, so they're not married. They're just shacking up with the church. God, I pray that you would speak to people in here that need to make a commitment, need to go all in with your people for so many reasons. I pray you give us the strength to be obedient to what it is you've called us to do so that we can be effective. As the sign in Nayland Stadium says that the players touch before they go out on the field, I will give my all for Tennessee today. I pray, God, that we will give our all for you in every single day of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes. 